Hello, and welcome to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And what we explore in this podcast called The Soul of Business is essentially what it means uh, for a business to have a soul. Um, kind of an oxymoron in one sense in, in terms of how most people experience uh, American capitalism and Western capitalism in, in specific. It seems to be almost soulless at, at times. Um, but there is you know, uh, something to be said about the soul being present, uh, if not recognized. Carl Jung years ago was asked uh, to define what he thought the soul was. And he said it's essentially, and this is a paraphrase, but he essentially said it's that spark of anything, that kernel of anything that you know, gives voice to the desire to be more, to grow, to have and do more. And it's, you know, for me, coupled in the way that nature actually unfolds. You know, you know, nature seeks growth. Life seeks growth and expression. Uh, and when it's allowed to actually be expressed, there's a lot of aliveness that can be present and actually occurs. You know, the emotion uh, is, is one of joy and, and fulfillment and richness. And that is the antithesis of what many people experience in business. So part of my life's journey here and part of my work is uh, working with leaders in organizations, large and small, to tap into that real uh, resource that is not tapped into. Uh, so my guest today, and I've, I've, I'm just privileged with this podcast uh, to have an opportunity to speak to, to some of the most fascinating people uh, in the field uh, that I kind of dance in. And it's fairly eclectic. It's not just business. It, it's it's kind of wide ranging. I've had uh, uh, military generals on, uh, scientists, uh, just all kinds of folks. And today is no exception. Um, many of you are probably familiar, the, the listeners, uh, with uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, his bestseller was Blink. And in that bestseller, um, he identify something there. It's a facial coding tool that uh, my guest has actually been uh, seminal in, in creating. And he's going to talk a lot more about this, but facial coding, just how do you recognize emotions? How do you bring emotions into consciousness? And what's the, what's, what's the reason we would want to do that? And that becomes, I think, very important when we look at businesses today, because businesses oftentimes say, you know, take emotion out of it. Let's just yeah, get the work done. So Dan Hill is a PhD uh, scientist, uh, writer, lecturer, uh, business entrepreneur, and Dan, I want to welcome you to the show and thank you for taking the time to be uh, be with me today. And it's going to be a wonderful conversation, I think. Well, I'm happy to be here, and I see you have masks behind you at the desk, uh, which is perfect because I'm going to be talking about facial expressions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these are some, uh, yeah, from Southeast Asia as well as a couple, uh, you can't see some of the others here, but from Africa. Uh, so, yeah, I, I begin every podcast with a question, um, or every episode with a question. The soul of business, when you hear that phrase, the soul of business, what does that bring up for you? What does that kind of conjure up for you in your mind? Well, anytime I go into a company or even into my own company's offices, what's the vibe that I get? Um, I remember when I had my, well, that was really my most wonderful team. I so enjoyed going to work every day. I liked seeing them and it was wonderful. I can remember other times where I didn't always have the staff I wanted 
And one time I had a couple of really smart people, but they were kind of cold fish. And I remember looking around the office and going, oh my God, I could probably film Mutiny on the Bounty with this crew. And it just didn't create the same feeling. And this is important because emotion and motivation have the same root word in Latin, to move, to make something happen. So the soul of a business, the spirit of a business, the emotional climate within an office, uh, within a headquarters is really important. We're not talking about something soft. We're talking about things you're going to carry right to the bottom line in terms of motivation, performance, profitability, uh, really crucial stuff. Yeah, I, I like the way that you uh, link emotion with motivation just from an epistemology perspective, just, you know, the sourcing of the words. Um, in, you know, doing a little bit of background research on you before uh, we sat down here to talk today, I was really struck by, um, oh, well, a whole lot of things here, but... Um, you know, you're, you're cutting you know, in, in one of the bio pieces that I've uh, that I came across here your contribution to society and the business world is bringing the role of emotions front and center and you know you've got a book out you know, you've got four books out actually uh, uh, best-selling books and one of them that I want to cite here is emotionomics leveraging emotions for business success it was uh, you know advertising age selected as one of the top 10 must reads uh, for 2009 when it came out so this idea of emotions in business, having it be front and center, not something that's kind of kept under, um, un under wraps. We'll talk a little bit about that. Sure, I think one of the most important statistics I cite in the book is the importance of leadership, that the emotional climate in a company, uh, sources suggest, could account for 30% of profitability. And uh, the CEO will set about 50% of the emotional climate within a company. So that's really important. I'll give you a quick kind of fun example. One point I went through and I facially coded from the very same interview on stage, Carly Fiorini, uh, formerly of HP, and John Chambers of Cisco. Well, he was Mr. Sunshine. Uh, about 70% of his emoting was happiness. Happiness is not a trivial emotion. Uh, people who are, tend to be happier get to superior brainstorming solutions and more quickly. I mean, happiness is to hug, to invite somebody in. Uh, Fiorina was about half of that in terms of her positive emoting. And I think it really played out. Uh, her employees were not that happy with their leadership. Uh, one of the jokes around the companies, if you wanted to actually get time with her, the only chance you had was to look at her portrait in the hallway. And she just <laughs> wasn't a people person. And when she left the company, there was a joke that went around that she goes to the afterlife and she goes up to the garden. So there must be a terrible mistake. I was supposed to go to heaven. This looks a lot like hell. And the guard says, didn't you hear the news? We merged. Oh, so lo and behold, her employees just did not enjoy working for her, and that's gonna that's gonna go to the bottom line. Oh, it, it, yeah, thirty percent. Huh? Wow, that's quite an interesting statistic. Yeah, no, it's a it's a killer statistic because who wouldn't like thirty percent higher profitability and performance out of their their employees? Well, you know, um, one of the ways that I define leadership in the work that I do is, you know, leadership is the activity of co-creating coordinated movement in a system. And there's two pieces to it, co-creation and coordinated movement. And if I work from a basis uh, or an assumption, a basic assumption that all an organization is, is a collection of people in relationship, uh, that's all it is. And if the relationships are working well, I got a pretty good shot at being successful here. But co-creating coordinated movement from a relational context 
I can't imagine doing that without emotions. Oh, you, you can't. And emotions are hugely contagious. They, they go from one person to another. And speaking of contagious, I'll give you a perfect example of this. What's going on in China right now with mm -hmm. the coronavirus? Well, the Chinese Communist Party came in rather slow in the trying to solve this problem, this immense pandemic that's starting. And just today in the New York Times, they said, well, look at the senior leadership. They've been pushing this anti-corruption campaign. The people in the bureaucracy are full of fear and they don't dare do anything. And it's gonna cost China and the world and Chinese economy a lot. There could be a lot of deaths as a result of this. And they contrast some of the sources in the piece, contrasted it with what was true under the previous leader who was much more constructive. And I can tell you not as emotionally negative as the current leadership. Yeah. So these things play out all sorts of ways, politics, organization, health, profitability. Uh, the story goes on and on. Well, you know, you had a front, you mentioned the New York Times, you had a front page article uh, a little bit ago, um, you know, using facial coding you know, for legal applications and personnel choices and sports and uh, that sort of a thing. Um, and I'm interested here, and in, in, in this is you know, kind of a non sequitur, but you know, that you mentioned fear and you mentioned happiness. How do, you know, when, when you, you know, and you, <laughs> I'm not sure how to frame this question. Um, when I think about fear as, a, as, as one of the base emotions that is probably, in my experience, one of the easiest ones to access with people, yeah, how, how, does, how do you work with that in terms of um, channeling fear, if, if I can use that word? Because there's energy there, but I, I want to have it be constructive. Yeah, there's a, there's a wonderful comment from Boris Becker, the tennis star, who said, I don't remember a single point I won at Wimbledon. I only remember the fear of losing. Uh, so you're right that fear is a really powerful emotion, and it can motivate you, but you have to have the fear that makes you not freeze, but decide you're going to fight, you're going to do something to counteract that fear. And so if you can have an environment that combines fear with happiness or the hope for happiness, mm -hmm. that's a lot better thing. Now, it's nice to have Boris Becker serve. That gives you a lot of hope that you're gonna succeed here. But for all of us mere mortals, we need people around us who give us that sense that we can belong, that we do, we're not in this fight by ourselves. Okay. And, and that's a really vital way to take this forward. So, so that sense of belonging, I'm part of something and I'm part of something bigger than, than my fear is uh, suggesting I'm a part of. That, that can be something that I, I, I could, as a leader, really leverage. And once again, kind of going back to the movement. How do yes. I talk? Yeah. And, and you need to be able to have more than just fear because fear is not a lubricant. Fear makes you freeze. You, yep. don't tend, you don't take in information very well if you freeze. So the New York Times piece you're alluding to was, yeah, front page coverage by work in pro sports as well as NCAA Division One. And Kevin Love has subsequently come out with admission that he has anxiety disorder. Well, I already saw it when I was doing the work for the Timberwolves. His fear level is about 20%. And the way it manifested itself, even though he was the star of the team, is when I went to the practices, he did not take in the advice of the coaches very well, and he did not interact with his you know, colleagues on the court very well. 
Um, so you have to have something more than fear because otherwise you close down. It's the same thing in a sales situation. If you pounce on the customer or the prospect and they are filled with fear, you might think you're delivering this wonderful series of messages about why they should buy the product. And all they're thinking about is, oh my God, I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable. When will this person leave? <laughs> that does not yeah. make anybody you know, come out to a better place. That's not a very, very conducive sales and, uh, approach, I wouldn't imagine. But, you know, it's interesting here. Um, this idea of you know, fear being contractive. You know, it's yes. Not a lubricant. It is contractive emotionally uh, and physically, physiologically, contraction occurs. And psychologically, uh, again, in my experience here in conversations and with leaders I work with, um, the focus becomes less about um, the collective and in the bigger picture and more about me because, you know, survival comes into play. And Absolutely. One of the things that, you know, you talk about specifically from your research, but I've also alluded to you know, with re research I've come across is 95% of our mental activities is, is underground. I mean, it's, it's subconscious. Uh, how does this play into that? Well, the emotions are the fuel. So I think survival is where fear takes us, but it really should be survive and thrive. You should get to the second part of the equation. I can give you the perfect instance from looking at, at Iowa last night. So you have Joe, <laughs> Joe Biden, who's probably going to come in fourth or fifth, and he's the professional politician. So he does get the smile on his face, but he also has moments where he's giving away concern and some disgust. But his wife, Jill, she gave away the goods. They hit the stage, and Joe Biden says, We're, we are where we want to be. And she shows fear on her face. Her mouth pulls wide with fear, and that gave away the game. I did not yet know the results from Iowa, but I said, no, no, Joe is going down, at least for tonight. Joe is not getting to where he thinks he wants to be. Interesting. Now, yeah, you, so you picked that up just watching it on, on TV. Yes, and we want, we want to be associated with winners. We want to be a winner. It's okay to use fear to, to get out of being in danger, but you want to get to the safer place. So, so this, yeah, in, in, I apologize if I used the wrong term here, this technique, but you know, the, the modality of, yeah. of, uh, that you work with here, facial coding. Um, how, how did you come to develop it and actually how is it utilized by, by leaders and by organizations? Sure, there's a man named Paul Ekman, now retired from the University of California, San Francisco. And Paul went through and systematically figured out which muscle movements correspond to which emotions. And there are 44 muscles in the face. We have more facial muscles than any other species on the planet. So there is a wealth of information there, as Gladwell alluded to in his book, Blink. So it's amazing that companies simply haven't harvested and leveraged what's right there hidden in plain sight. Because the movements on our face are action. Actions speak louder than words. If the CEO says we're going to have a great fourth quarter, but is full of fear, do we really think we're going to have a great fourth quarter? No, we don't, unless we're going to work really hard rowing at the oars to get there. And maybe this, maybe we'll still make it. So it's looking for those actions. So there are 44 muscles in the face. There are 23 of these muscle activities called action units, according to Dr. Ekman and they correspond to seven emotions. So we've discussed happiness a bit. It's a you know, uh, expansive emotion, you're hugging, connecting. The next most important emotion is actually anger because between them, 
anger and happiness are about 70% of most people's emoting. So they're the one, two, 70%, 70%. They are the one, two punch and anger is about punch. It's about hitting. You want to break through barriers. You, you want to, you know, achieve, you may be confused. You don't feel like you're in control of your destiny. Think about how corrosive can be in a company. If they keep telling you, we want you to feel empowered as employees. And then you really feel like you're in an old fashioned system that doesn't give you any independence yeah. or opportunity for initiative. So now you're creating anger, but it's not anger on behalf of getting to a goal. It's anger on behalf of, I feel trapped. <laughs> I'm mad about it. Uh, I got all these unfair, you know, things are keeping me from making progress. Uh, that's very unfortunate. So those are the two heavyweights. They're both approach emotions to hug or to hit, but then you have sadness which is an approach emotion, but a really weak one, as in, I'm hoping to be hugged. So mm -hmm. there, there's not a lot of leverage in sadness, quite honestly, because it tends to go toward sadness, disappointment, feeling loneliness, like in a company structure where your boss doesn't really have your back, you don't feel close to your colleagues. Occasionally, sadness can help us because it makes us ponder and say, how do we avoid making the same mistake over? Generally speaking, in sports, as in business, as in life, sadness is not a wonderful place to be. Then we have two kind of aversive scorning emotions, which are contempt and disgust. Contempt is very worrisome because it is the most reliable indicator that a relationship will fail. It could be between a man and a wife, but it can also be between a boss and a subordinate, for instance, or two colleagues. In fact, in Blink, Gladwell goes to the Love Lab at the University of Washington, Seattle, and with 10 minutes of videotape, they have, I think it's about a 90% accuracy rate if the couple will stay married or not. And contempt is the most reliable indicator that it won't, because you don't respect the other party. Right. Now you're in trouble. I mean, what do you do in a political debate? You try to say that your opponent's not trustworthy, because now nothing that comes out of their mouth it's going to have any impact if you buy into the proposition that they're not an honest person. So you got contempt and disgust. And then we have two other emotions really quickly, which are surprise and fear. They are reactive emotions. They show very similarly in the face because we don't like surprises in life. They make us afraid because now we have to deal with something that we didn't know was going to be on our plate a moment ago. Yeah. And, and those are the other two emotions. So those seven are really powerful, but the, the key ones are actually anger and happiness due to volume and contempt because it's so potentially toxic. Interesting. So as a leader then, yeah, I'm going to want to, you know, and I'm, I'm circling back here. Uh, you know, 50% of the emotional climate in the organization is a consequence of the leader's presence. Yep. Uh, yep. And 30% of uh, my profitability is going to be linked to this as well. So uh, if I kind of tranche this down a little bit, I've got essentially three things that I want to kind of target here would be happiness and anger, and then contempt. Yep. Uh, so, so that's kind of a bite-sized way of looking at this. How, as a leader, would I go about mastering uh, some of this? How do, how do I become more aware uh, of, of what's going on around me and with me? Sure, I'll give you two examples. One was for uh, an insurance company. I did executive coaching with the CEO, and we sat down and I said, okay, let's take video from some of your other presentations. It can be to staff, it can be a media interview, it can be to investors. And let me show you what you're actually revealing here, what your tendencies are, and how they map out statistically compared to other executives I've looked at, and where's the weaknesses. And he had a fairly high level of contempt. 
And I said, that's going to really create a distance between you and the people you're trying to lead. And of course, you've heard the saying that you can't be a leader if there are no followers. Yeah. Well, you've just pushed these people off away from you by showing this contempt, particularly when you don't combine it with happiness. Because if you do put contempt with happiness, you can be like a Tom Brady and it gives off an aura of, I'm really confident, even cocky, <laughs> but I will win for you. And if we think we're going to win, we might put up with it, but it's still potentially dicey. A second example, many years ago, I was the director of executive communications for a big utility on the East Coast. And I really, when I came in, I was in charge of the annual employee meetings. Well, what I learned really quickly before I could get around to running my first one was that the executive would let people turn in questions in advance on cue cards and he would literally stand at the podium, thumb through them and decide which questions he was going to be willing to answer. Well, that gave off a sense of, I don't trust this guy. He's, he's cherry picking the questions he wants. I'm destroying trust. And I said, Jim, Jim, we're not, we're not doing it that way. We're going to create a candid camera video where I go around in the company. I interview people. I ask them what one question do they really want to ask of you? We show it before the Q&A session, and then we let people come up to the microphones that are in the aisles, and they ask the questions. We got a 20% lift in the satisfaction level for the annual employee meeting over wow. the previous years, 20%. That's You're, huge. Yeah, it's That's huge. huge. And, yeah. and he was so pleased. We, we created not just that one annual employee meeting, said, let's go back out. Let's take the senior executives. Let's follow the same format. And it just was a great groundswell. That, I mean, I, I, I love hearing this. It's, uh, um, well, this is, there's two questions that just kind of yeah, kick up here real quick. You know, I'm going to go back to the insurance executive that you were speaking about uh, that was exhibiting contempt, you know, that you noticed in the videos. How did that physically or physiologically, how did that show up? Because I'm assuming all you had was the, the visual uh, to, to cor uh, correlate from. And that's all I need. You know, I, I, I'm, uh, you know, a detective. <laughs> doing this work. I'm Sherlock Holmes. So a smirk will show almost always just on one side of the face. People have a predominant side of the face where the smirk is going to show. It rises from the corner of the mouth, but it's got a tension to it. So you get a little like pocket tornado, a little indentation in the corner of the mouth and this little slit that goes up up and away. Think of Snidely Whiplash, the old cartoon character. He Perfect. is content personified. He's always smirking at you. I you know, love it. Yeah, you're always the butt of the joke, in effect, because he does uh -huh. not think you're his equal. Uh, that's one. That's that's really interesting. I, I I'm fascinated. Now, yeah, and this is the second part of this question, then, uh, or the second part here that I was thinking of. You know, I hear a lot, uh, and I've for years heard a lot. I've worked in the military. I've, I've worked all over the world. But you know, this notion of leadership presence. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when you talk about leadership presence, it's almost the same as talking about trust. It, it's a, it's a uh, placeholder that, you know, when you're talking about trust, what are you really talking about? Uh, competency, character, you know, what is it you're talking about? Presence is kind of the same thing, I would imagine. It's just kind of how, how do you hold the space? And you talked about um, uh, when you first began speaking about, you know, coming into your companies and you could feel the vibe, you know, the, the Sanskrit word there is the rasa, the thisness of it. Um, so from a leadership presence perspective, how does it, how does it, you know, this work into that? Because when a leader walks in, people are paying attention to the presence before they hear anything that's being spoken. Yeah, well, I think it starts with the energy level and the movement. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but George Harrison helped get the Rolling Stones their record contract to get started. 
he said to somebody in the industry, he said, sign these guys. Mick Jagger has stage presence. Take them. <laughs> you will make money. Um, so there's another term that's really important when I think about facial coding, which is engagement. What's the engagement level? So how much do you emote in your face? If you are deadpan, I mean, think about, you know, the stereotypical marriage where the wife feels like she's married to a brick wall or uh -huh. talking to a brick wall. Is, is she pleased with that? Is that motivating? Is that going to be a successful relationship? I do not think so. Right. You want someone who's animated, who's energized, and you probably want them to show some variety of expressions. It's not that, you know, any one of these emotions is a bad emotion necessarily. They all have a purpose. They all give off signals and information, but you want some variety. You certainly want a good amount of happiness and you just want the energy showing. So it can be the body movements of a Mick Jagger on stage, or it can be the movement that's more microscopic, but is in the face and it's the muscles moving and it shows you're animated. It shows you care. I mean, I mentioned in my office, you know, I had a couple of people who were very smart, but I felt like I could, I could videotape Mutiny on the Bounty with them. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the guys was the most deadpan guy. I mean, he just didn't care. And it was awful to be around. It was like a chill. Interesting, yeah. you know. Now, so there's you know there's a couple of pieces there. One is that 95% the subconscious. What is the characteristic traits that kind of come out, and you know where does that kind of lay in that subconscious arena? And I'm speaking thinking yep. particularly about him, but I'm also here thinking in, in just in terms of the the soul of the business uh, again here. Um, yeah, because you know 95% of the culture is you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind, and and it lays on top of this spirit that could come through. Uh, I'm stretching a bit of a metaphor here, but um, when you're talking here and you're, and you're in, in what I'm hearing, and as, as I watch you and those of you that are just listening to the podcast and not seeing the video on this, you're animated, you're alive, um, you know, you're, you're just moving. And there's, there is a definite sense of uh, aliveness that I want to connect with. I want to join with. And, that to me, that that sense of aliveness is is evidence for me that that spirit or soul, and I don't mean this religiously, but just you know that spark is saying, "I'm here, I'm here, I want to come out and play," sort of a thing. How do we? And this is a very large question, but how do we tap into that in a business where it's not typically present? Well, I, I think you have to think again about how much emotions are con conducive and connective and make us react to them and get that vibe back. I'll go back to the Chinese example. I have a new book called Two Cheers for Democracy, How Emotions Drive Leadership Style. And preparing for this interview today, I went back and looked at the results for the current Chinese leader because I mentioned this article in the New York Times this morning, the coronavirus. Well, lo and behold, emotionally, what kind of environment is he creating? The two leaders who are closest to him on my chart of foreign leaders, Lo and behold, Saddam Hussein and Bashar al-Assad of Syria, two people who are not getting the best out of their people. And this is not casual stuff. The correlation between democracy and a more in inclusive environment where you're encouraging people to come forward and uh, this kind of dictatorial emoting that has anger and, and disgust at its forefront, a 0.39 correlation. Well, that's huge, that's huge because because anyone who's a statistics person knows that when you have human behavior involved, 
you can't get above 0.50 because human beings are just so complicated and the data set is always a bit of a mess. So 30, 0.39 is basically like we're saying it's Ted Williams hitting 400 in baseball. It's yeah. an amazing outcome. So what it shows is the dictators tend to exhibit an, an index high on anger and disgust. So they are punching people emotionally and disgust is bad taste, bad smell. It's I'm pushing away from you. I'm trying to escape you. Neither one of those are the warm and fuzzies. And I'm not saying warm and fuzzies like it's soft because I think we're talking about ka-ching here, about making yeah. money. But you really have to think about these signals that you're giving off. Right. You know, your, your employees are watching the leader. There's this wonderful study from years ago. It showed monkeys in the wild. They would forgo food for a straight direct vision of the leader's face of the pack of monkeys because I, they wanted to know how the monkey leader was feeling it was he in a good mood or bad mood was i in trouble or am i safe today can i bring him a banana or will he swap me in the face if i try to go forward toward him uh we're a lot like monkeys we're not as sophisticated as we like to think we are you know we're, we're really basic primal animals in so many ways and it goes back to your 95 percent of subconscious we, we, we think that we think all the time. We mostly feel. We're feeling creatures who yeah. occasionally think way more than we are, you know, Mr. Spock from Star Trek. Absolutely. You know, uh, just a very simple meme that I've worked with is how I describe something determines how I feel about it. How I feel about it generates my behavior. That description process is almost completely out of awareness, in my experience. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's automatic, but I have this emotional response. You know, it's kind of like, I'm not sure where it came from, which is why emotional intelligence becomes a very interesting uh, you know, source of, of, of uh, success and, and, uh, um, and failure. Yeah, so, so, so in fact, like we have this cliche, you know, sorry I wasn't thinking. How about sorry I wasn't feeling? It's, it's emotional engagement that should matter to us. And then also, what do the emotions mean? When I give business lectures, I often open say, these are the seven core emotions. And I put a little thing on the screen and I say, here are seven words. Please match up the word that explains that emotion to the list of emotions on the left side. The average, you only got seven choices. In it, and I usually just give them seven straight up. I don't even hide it with an eighth choice to make it more difficult. The average is about 40% correct answers. Really? 40%. And I, and, I, and I have learned at audiences. They all got a college degree. They probably have an advanced degree. They are mid-level or more senior. They're in analytical roles for their companies. If you are not emotionally literate, you are throwing away one of the most basic tools to being successful in business and in life, after all. There are only two currencies, dollars and emotions. Dollars two currencies. Yeah, two currencies. You're, you're really keen on knowing the difference between a $5 bill and a $10 bill. Why shouldn't you know the difference between disgust and contempt or fear? Yeah. You really should. Yeah, yeah. That, that reminds me, years ago, I was doing some work with IBM, a group of managers, and I mentioned something about feelings. And I had one of the guys, in the, in, and it was all guys, uh, IBM back you know, at that point in time, uh, actually stopped and, and got up and went and looked up the word feeling because he just he needed to understand <laughs> what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I still remember that vividly. Yeah, no, I, I have had a lot of women come up to me and say, thank God a guy is bringing, you know, emotions forward. And they said, and also thank God you have statistics and science behind you. 
because that's frankly what it needs for throw weight to get people to take it seriously. Yeah. And the more you can then take all of that, the statistics, the science, and tie it to the other currency, i.e. dollars, then we can start talking. Oh, that's really, yeah. Dollar, dollars and emotions. And yep. <laughs> dialing for emotions, dialing for dollars. Here we go. Sure. And, and the most important place to get it is the 25 square inches in the middle of our face where our features are, our eyes, nose, and mouth. That's, yeah, that's where it comes. And the first person who was a facial coder, it wasn't Charles Darwin, who actually kind of got this rolling. It wasn't Paul Ekman. It wasn't me. Da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci was the original facial coder because he got into anatomy. Go back and look at his notebooks. Oh, yeah. He is figuring out how the muscles move and what the emotions are. That's why Mona Lisa is such a fabulous painting in part because it's got multiple emotions on the face. There is a Mona Lisa smile, but mm -hmm. there's also anger there in the eyes. There's also a smirk there. And the chin is pulling upward, which is a sign of disgust, anger, and sadness. It's the interplay of the emotions that's so fabulous. And it took another 200 years for someone to be even remotely as good at facial anatomy as da Vinci was. So scientist, painter, everything. The guy was just phenomenal. Oh, that, that yeah. Have you ever read uh, da Vinci's brain? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. It, it just this guy is lights out, fantastic. Oh, amazing! I mean, just one of the. I mean, I, heads and shoulders above anybody I've ever met. I mean, and I, I'll, I'll, I'm not met, but you know, have read about or, or come across. I, I was uh, going to say you're you're hiding some things about your past. Yeah. This hey, is pretty I'm, amazing. I'm older than I look. <laughs> <laughs> so. Dan, I want to just thank you so much, uh, and, and I'm, and I'm kind of you know, frustrated here in one sense because we're out of time, and we have, in my experience, <laughs> just barely scratched the surface on this, and I would love to have you come back if, if you're open to it. Sure, uh, absolutely. And do a deeper dive on some of this. So, um, yeah, um, my guest today has been Dan Hill, uh, and your, your company is called uh, Sensory Logic. So it why don't you, you know, just kind of fill in some blanks here. How can people find out more, um, not only from the books that you've got, but also your website, and, and how, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. I think the most important thing is just to go to danhill.sensorylogic.com. That's my personal website. You can order the books. You can see speech stuff. You can find all my contact information there. But I do have two books I think have been pretty central to this conversation today. Uh, one is indeed Emotionomics, and the other is the Two Cheers for Democracy. So they're an excellent way to get going. And then, of course, I'm on LinkedIn like everybody else, so you can find me there too. Great. My guest today, again, has been Dan Hill. Dan, thank you so much. It's been a blast. Uh, it has been an absolute joy you know, speaking with you. Um, this is Blaine Bartlett, and you've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. You can find out more about what I'm up to by going to blainebartlett.com. Um, and if you're listening to this and you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, just go ahead and click on subscribe. And uh, you'll be getting all of this on a regular basis. So again, Dan, thank you very much. You're welcome, by all means. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>